you know, one of the uh, one of the mantras or one of the things that kids learn real early on in life, and that I'm discovering with my kids, is this phrase: "It's not fair." You ever hear kids say that? It's not fair. How come they get to do this and I don't? It's not fair. You know, kids they they have this sort of inbuilt sense of of fairness. Um, and they can inherently detect when something doesn't seem fair. They say, it's not fair. Um, and of course, along with that comes the, uh, the, the saying or the uh, expression that many of us are, are familiar with that we probably learn from our parents, which is the classic reply to it's not fair, which is life's not fair. You ever, you ever heard that? Did your parents say that to you, to you as a kid? Well, get used to it. Life's not fair. And we, we sort of go through life with this idea that maybe life is not fair, even though we feel like it should be fair. Um, it's a bit like, you know, uh, the way I think of it, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, during this pandemic, um, there are some people who've gone all gung-ho and they've, they've like, hey, I've lost some weight and got really in shape and all that. And then there's people like myself who uh, may, may have gained a few around the waist. Uh, I'm, I'm calling it the pandemic 15 um, although maybe a little more than 15. But <laughs> there's this, um, the, th- the thing is, what I find unfair in life is the fact that it's far easier to put weight on than it is to lose it. Anybody else, anybody else feeling me here that, um, you know, why is it not as easy to lose the weight as it is to gain it? And, why, and it's not as fun to lose the weight as it is to gain it. But, you know, if life was fair, then it would be as easy to drop it as it is to gain it. But as we know, life is not fair. And there's a parallel here, actually, in, in, in the scripture we're going to read today. Because what actually what we're going to learn, part of this story, is that it's easier um, to be disobedient to God, aka to be sinful, than it is to be obedient to God, to be holy. It's much easier to go down that road of disobedience than it is of, of obedience. And, and we're going to be sort of looking at a little bit of that this, this morning as we jump in here to this passage of Haggai. So let's jump in. Um, and right off the bat, we get a date given to us again. Remember, I've, I've been stressing the fact that it's so cool. We have very specific dates in this book, which remind us that the Bible is not a book of myths and fairy tales. It's a historical book that is set in real times and places. Um, and it's basically it's about three month, months, almost to the day, since Haggai's last word from the Lord, which we looked at last week. And it says there, on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, which actually puts us right at December 18th, 520 BC. December 18th, 520 BC. They'd be getting ready for Christmas, except they didn't celebrate Christmas then because Jesus hadn't come. <laughs> but the people had, they had gathered at the temple site... Remember, they're starting to rebuild the temple. This is what Haggai, the book of Haggai is about. The Lord's calling them out because they haven't been rebuilding the temple. They've been spending time putting additions on their own houses while neglecting God's houses. But now they, they have been starting to rebuild it. And they're at the temple site for the foundation laying ceremony. So this is a, it's an important ceremony because it's, it's saying, hey, we've established the foundation of the temple. Okay? And we're making... We're making um, uh, we're making progress here. And so the people are gathered and the priests are gathered. And the Lord, through Haggai, takes this opportunity to ask the priests in front of the people a couple of questions. And he's asking these questions because he's going to use these questions to actually to apply to the people in their situation right now. 
So he asks two questions. The first question is in verse 12. It says, if someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? And the priest's answer, no. So what's going on here? Uh, you've got to have a little idea of, of the old covenant, the old sacrificial system um, that the priests were involved with um, in the time uh, that we're talking about here. And so basically it was quite common for priests to carry meat or food that had been sacrificed to God as an offering. Um, and they would carry this in the folds of their long robes when they were kind of trying to move it from one place to another. And this food, because it had been, uh, had been offered and sacrificed to the Lord, was considered holy. It had become holy. And so the priests would carry this in their long robes, <laughs> which of course makes you think that we get this idea of priests being these sort of very you know, stoic. But really the, the job of a priest back then was pretty messy. I mean, they were constantly, uh, you know, cutting up animals and making sacrifices. You know, they'd be covered in a lot of blood all the time. A very messy um, job, actually. But they would carry these things in the robe. And the question they're asking is that um, if the fold of the robes that have this consecrated food in uh, happen to touch some other food, like they mentioned, the wine or the, the, the olive oil or anything like that, would that, would that, as a result, would that make that food holy as well? So in other words, can ritual purity be passed on by touch? Or to put it even more simply, is holiness transferable by touching something else? And the priest correctly answered, no. So what was the point of that question? Well, again, you've got to go back a little bit to the covenant the, uh, that the Lord made with the Israelite people. And the Israelites had originally been set apart by the Lord to be his holy people. This is part of God's plan of redemption. Okay, He's setting aside a people to be holy, who would be groomed in his ways, to live in obedience to God, who would then bring forth the Messiah, the Savior of the world, which is Jesus. But to do that, the people had to be prepped. They had to be a holy people unto God. And so if we look at Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, the Lord says to the Moses, he says the following. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So the Lord saying to Moses right there, I'm setting these people aside. That's actually what the word holy means. It means to be set apart to be set apart from everything else, to be holy. And so the Lord had made them to be a holy people. All right, but, and this is the point God's making with the question he just asked the people, it did not mean that because God had made them a holy people that everything else they did was holy by default. All right, it certainly wasn't. The Israelites did many things that were not holy, were not good in the eyes of the Lord. And just because they were a holy people to the God did not mean that transferred to everything else they did. So the Lord is trying to make the point that they are doing many things that are not holy, that they have been disobedient to God. And as we'll find out, that disobedience would have consequences. So that's the first question. Now, the second question that God asks through Haggai is this, it says in verse 13, then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, remember these things is the other food they were talking about, does it become defiled? 
And the priests answer, yes, it becomes defiled. So again, we've got to look back to the laws that, that God gave the Israelites. We're talking the book of Exodus and Leviticus for these holy laws, God's covenant that he made. And according to these laws, um, anybody who came in contact with a dead body would be considered defiled or unclean. And they had to stay out the outside of the camp of the rest of the people for seven days. And they would have to be uh, ritually sprinkled with the water of cleansing over that week to, to be considered clean again. And if we look at the book of Numbers, chapter 19, verse 11, it lays it out here. It says, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then they will be clean. Now the priests knew all this stuff. They knew the Lord. They knew this inside out. So the Lord's not, it's not about testing, do you know the Lord? No, the Lord's he's trying to get to uh, a deeper thing here, which we'll discover in a moment. But the, the, what the Lord is basically asking with this second question is, is uncleanliness contagious? Is uncleanliness contagious? And the answer is yes. And so there's a deeper truth for us all in this today, and it's this. Uncleanliness or sinfulness is more contagious than holiness. Uncleanliness or sinfulness is more contagious than holiness. In other words, it's much easier for us to fall into sinful habits than it is into holy habits. Have you noticed that? It's much easier to fall into sinful habits than holy habits. I mean, have you noticed that? I mean, think about it. Why is it, you know, I'm talking about us as people in general. Why is it so much easier in general for us to say resort to violence or cussing someone out or, or getting drunk or sleeping around or doing drugs or looking at porn? Why is it so much easier to do those things than it is to spend time with God, to pray, to read and meditate on his, on it, on, um, on his word. You know, why is it we can find time for those things pretty easily, but when it comes to spending time with God, I just don't have enough time. I'm so busy. I'm, I, you know, work is so difficult right now. It's much easier to fall into sinful habits than holy habits. And it's kind of like the example I used at the beginning here where I was talking about, you know, trying to lose weight versus gaining weight. I mean, why is it so much easier and initially more satisfying to say to eat that junk food to eat that burger to eat that fried chicken than it is to say have a cup of broccoli and grilled chicken it does sound quite nice right now but you know what i mean it's like mm, the chocolate bar is calling my name as opposed to the apple chocolate bar is calling my name what am i gonna do or you know that uh, it, it doesn't count if I eat a whole pint of ice cream, but I leave a spoonful in the tub, right? If you leave one spoonful, that means none of those calories count, right? That's what I've heard. <laughs> but it's so much easier to do that, isn't it? Than, than to do, do the habit, pick up the thing that is good for us. It's so much easier and more tempting to go for the things that are bad for us rather than the things that are good for us. And you know... We, we talk about and we're learning about how contagious this coronavirus is. And it is, right? By all accounts, it's very um, contagious. But you know what? That is nothing compared to how contagious sin is in our own lives. Sin actually is something that has a 100% transmission rate. We are all 
infected. Each and every one of us. No one has escaped that infection. In fact, if there was a test like we could do for the virus that we could take for sin in our lives, we would all be testing positive. Every one of us. 24, 48 hours from now, we'd be getting a call from a doctor. Yep, you tested positive for sin in your life. Sorry, going to have to put you on some treatment. And, you know, sin is, is, is it's the one true lethal virus in our world. Because it has a 100% mortality rate. All right, And actually there is only one vaccine for it, and that is Jesus Christ. I know it's a little cheesy, a little cheesy. Hey, sin is the problem, Jesus is the vaccine. But it's true. Reminds me a little bit of that uh, Saturday Night Live sketch with, you know, with Christopher Walken. I, got a, I need more cowbell. I got a fever, and the only cure is more cowbell. Well, the same is true with sin in our lives. It, uh, the truth is, all joking aside, that the only cure for sin in our life is Jesus Christ. And, you know, we talk about the coronavirus is a, is a pandemic, but sin is endemic. What does endemic mean? It means belonging or native to a particular people or country. Well, that particular people is actually the human race. It's all of us. We are actually one people under God. And that particular country is, in fact, the whole world. Nobody, nobody escapes it. There isn't a place that can be uh, cut off and flight stopped to that will prevent this infection. We have to remember this. And this actually goes back to everything that we are experiencing in our culture right now. The unrest, the racism, the problems there, all that. You know, the core root problem is not racism in of itself. It is sin. We have to go one step further back and realize that all the problems of the world are down to the fact that we are sinful. And the reason for that is that the whole world is fallen. The whole world is in a sinful state. And by its very nature, we being part of that world are no different. You know, a lot, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, they don't want to tell you this. They don't want to go there. They don't want to say, actually, we all have a sin problem. They don't want to do that. You know why? They're scared you're going to tune out. They're scared you're not grown up enough to take it. I don't want to patronize you like that, folks. I want to try and give you the truth as it is. And that's done because I love you. And I want you to know the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat things for you. But the fact is, we all have sin in us. And it, as a result, it means our relationship with God is broken and messed up because of sin. It's why you're never fully satisfied. Even if you have everything you want in life, you've got 2.5 kids, you've got the white picket fence, you've got the car, you've got the home, you've got your dream job, but you're still not quite satisfied and not quite happy. And it's because that relationship with God is broken and needs repairing. And God is so holy that he cannot have relationship with sin, with something that has been defiled and without Jesus we have a core a sinful nature a defiled nature that will always find it easier to be sinful aka disobedient to God than it will be to follow his ways it's just a natural default it's so much easier to do the bad stuff because it feels like the fun stuff but it's why we need Jesus Christ to transform us by the sacrifice on his cross you see by doing that by giving himself, Jesus, as a substitute for us, and by rising from the dead, Jesus conquered 
sin. And he destroyed the power that sin has, which is death. And now because of that, we, we have an escape, a way to be free from the power of sin and death. And it's ours to have if we will simply embrace Jesus. Then we are no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer in chains. We're no longer without free choice. But instead, we have the power and the freedom through the Holy Spirit to choose holy habits over sinful habits. Do you realise that? If you have the Holy Spirit in you, if you've accepted Christ, you do have the power now to choose holy habits over sinful habits. doesn't mean you always will, but you now have the power. You don't have any power to do that if you don't have Christ in your life. You'll always essentially be disobedient to God. So as we go on here in chapter 15, uh, the Lord finally, he sort of, he passes out for us those two questions he asks. Because really he's, he's getting to something else. He knows the priests know the answer to those questions he asks. Um, but what he shows us is in verse 15, he asks them this question. And he says to them, then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. So God is saying that by their disobedience, remember this goes back to them neglecting to rebuild the house of the Lord and just focusing on their own houses. He's saying by their disobedience, the people have become, have become defiled. And so everything that they, they touch, such as their offerings and their sacrifices to the Lord, were defiled too. They were of no use. They were of no good in God's eyes. And if we bring that present today to you and I, it should make us think long and hard about, well, what about me, about... You know, the offerings and sacrifices we make to God today. What would, what would be some modern day examples? Obviously, we're not bringing up uh, animals to be sacrificed. Um, well, going to church every week and singing praises, giving of our time and our talents, giving of our money and tithing to, to support the, uh, the church. All that is wonderful and it's good and it's faithful things that God has called us to. But we should always be examining our own hearts. Is there a place where I'm, I'm walking in disobedience to God? Is there, is there a place where I'm, I'm defiled and unholy? A place where, where I need to repent? Well, here's, here's the wonderful thing. Through Jesus Christ, you have been washed clean. You have been washed clean. And when we sin or we go against God's ways, the moment we turn to God and repent, we're washed clean all over again. But we have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we no longer need to walk under that sort of condemnation anymore. Verse 15 to 17 here, the Lord shows them how in the past, them being disobedient, it led to curses instead of blessings on the land. So in other words, actions have consequences. I mentioned this in one of the past sermons, all right? But the way we act towards God will have consequences in our life. And the Lord tells them, he says, now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the, the Lord's temple. So he said, think, in, think about how your lives were before you started to rebuild the temple. He says, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. So he's talking about heaps of grain. And when they came to, you know, they were expecting 20 measures, but there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. Again, there wasn't as much wine as they were expecting. He says, I struck all the work of your hands with blight. Blight is, 
it's, it's the scorching effects from the winds coming from the east of the desert. So this would, would have dried up all the crops and the fruit and, and just really made a mess. And then he, he also says, I struck your, your work of your hands with mildew. Well, that's the opposite. This would be winds coming from the Mediterranean from the west that would make everything moist and fungus growing and all those kind of things. Again, wreaking havoc on the crops. And he sent them hail as well. So think about this. We've got east and west and we've got vertically hail coming down as, as well. Does that look like anything to you? Yeah, it's coming from all angles. And yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. He said, I was giving you all these signs, right? And you, you didn't put two and two together. The Lord is saying, do you think there was maybe a connection? And I wonder if there is a connection in our own lives today with how we relate to the Lord and how our lives are. Finally, in, in verses 18 and 19, the Lord, he brings, it, he brings it present day. He says, instead of reflecting back on how you were and how you weren't blessed because of your disobedience, he says, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. This is the third time now that he said this. Do you think the Lord's wanting them to think carefully about something here? Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Remember, folks, it's December when Haggai's giving this, this word from the Lord and all the seed would have been sown. All that's done and now they're waiting for the spring to see what will be produced. Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But then the Lord says this. This is where, so far it's all been talking about the curses that will be brought on the people if they're disobedient. And then here the Lord says, from this day on, I will bless you this day on I will bless you because it's a new day they've laid the foundation of the temple it's a new day this marks a new dawn in their relationship with God because the people have been obedient by laying the foundation of the temple and beginning the rebuilding of the temple because they've been obedient the Lord says from this day on I will bless you and the same thing can be true of us we have to remember something there is a direct relationship between obedience and and blessing. The two go hand in hand. If you are obedient to God in your lives, he will bless you. It's guaranteed. Okay? And we don't know what those blessings look like. We immediately think, oh, it, well, it's, it must be financial wealth and well-being and all that. No, the Lord can bless us in so many ways that are not connected to material things. But if you are obedient, you will be blessed. And I want to remind us that we are the people of the new covenant now. Just like they were the people of the old covenant. And a new day dawned when Jesus rose from the dead. A new covenant was established. A new covenant of grace in which God said that from this day on, if you are in Jesus Christ my son, I will bless you. We are blessed folks. We are blessed because we are people of Jesus Christ. And if you're watching this morning and maybe, maybe you're not sure what to make of Jesus... I invite you to pray to seek the Lord and know that when you accept Christ into your life and believe that he died and rose from the dead, you too are going to be blessed. Let us pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you that um, because of what you've done for us, Lord, not because of what we could do for you, but because of what you've done for us, Lord, we can be blessed. 
We can be free, that we no longer have to be under uh, the bondage of sin. But we know that we are all sinful, but that you have wiped us clean, Lord. That we are pure in your eyes now, because when you look at us, you see your son, Jesus Christ. Help that truth to, that truth to resonate in our hearts, to know, Lord, that we are free in you. And would you give us the courage and the boldness to share that with others, Lord, to not be intimidated by what this world says or the foolishness that this world preaches, but instead, Lord, that we would share the love and the joy and the freedom that can be found in Christ. I pray that you would give us that boldness this week and going forward. I thank you and we pray all this in Jesus Christ, our Lord's name.